1: Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Jean Auge and Jumbo Cheeseburger. We're discussing the Saskatchewan Roughriders officially naming Mark Mueller the team's offensive coordinator.
2: The Montreal Alouettes bringing back some key defensive players.
1: Reggie Oliveira's NFL aspirations. The BC Lions returning their entire coaching staff for the 2024 season
2: and rising Canadian CFL players garnering workouts south of the border. But first.
1: The early odds for the 111th Grey Cup in Vancouver are out on 3downnation.com with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as the favorites at plus 200, followed closely by the Toronto Argonauts at plus 225. Though the game remains almost a year away, who do you believe is the best value heading into 2024?
2: At this time of the year, I would view these nine teams as stocks. And obviously, you know, getting a small return on a Winnipeg or a Toronto would be great. Personally, I do think that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to be taking a minor step back in 2024. I don't see them going from 13 wins to nine, but I could see them easily going from 13 to, say, 10 or 11 and falling to perhaps the second seed. In the West Division. The team I have picking or I will pick to finish ahead of them is the BC Lions, who have that Grey Cup at home. Now, there are some concerns with BC. Keon Hatcher reportedly suffered a torn Achilles tendon in the West Final. TJ Lee, who has been a stalwart for them at boundary halfback, also reportedly suffered an Achilles injury in the West Final. So there are some holes that that club will need to fill. However, given the time that they've taken to build that organization and that franchise the right way, right from new owner Amar Doman all the way down through the bottom guy on the roster, drafting really well. I think this team is ready to make a run, and I think playing at home, not only potentially during the West Final, but of course potentially in that Grey Cup, is going to do them a world of wonders because of course that team is, in my opinion, built better than any in the CFL to take advantage of a dome setting, right? They are not a cold weather team. They don't pound the rock on the ground. They are a finesse offense. Jordan Maximic opening up those zones deep down in the field in the passing game. The Vernon Adams Jr. was able to take advantage of the season. So at plus 600, to me, the best bet is the BC Lions.
3: I couldn't agree with you more there, Hodge. I think there's a lot of reasons why people Homer. should fade. Fade (laughs) Homer There's a lot of reasons why I think that people that people should fade the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Toronto Argonauts at the top. Obviously Winnipegs aging a little bit at this stage and then some of the stuff that went on during Grey Cup week with Toronto doesn't give me a lot of faith with their <laughs> roster going forward. Also, that they're going to have to make some cuts elsewhere with Chad Kelly getting a fairly su- substantial raise this coming season. But when I look at early odds like this, I like a long shot, right? If I'm going to make a bet on something this early in the season, I want to take a long shot odd. Last year, didn't work out so well for me. We sat here before the season. Like I said Edmonton was the best value at their long shot odds. Uh, that didn't Hard. look very good in retrospect. Until but they now, played Trey
1: Ford. Maybe if they played until, Ford from day one. If they had played yeah. Trey
3: Ford from, from for the entire season, maybe I would have looked a lot smarter.
2: Well, but guys, he looked really bad in practice. Let's remember that. He looked bad in
1: sure. practice. Sure, according to he yeah. looked bad one person.
2: He looked bad at practice. So that's why he had to sit for like nine weeks. So just remember and that. We all
3: know. Remember it's that. Much, it's much worse to look bad in practice than atrocious in games like Taylor Cornelius. <laughs> but I exactly. digress. Exactly. But I'm going to take another risk here again because I think the best odds right now, before all of the moves have happened, is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at plus Dude, 1400. You're stealing think- mine. Hey, it's a good bet. Look, they are going to be better guaranteed because Trevor Harris is going to be healthy next year. We all know that that had a devastating impact on their season when he went down. I know he's going to be 38 years old, but this is a guy who can proven he can still play and play at a high level who takes care of his body. And I have no doubt he can come back from that particular type of injury. And play at that same level. Then you've got a guy like Corey Mace coming in, who is clearly already taking steps to change the culture. And the biggest thing about him is he's going to draw in some big name, free agents, people that otherwise may not have been available to the Rough Riders because they would have chosen to stay with their existing teams or go elsewhere. Corey Mace is going to convince some talented defensive players from the Toronto Argonauts or even from the Calgary Stampeders to come to Saskatchewan and make a run with him. And I think that could change the outlook for this franchise overnight At the third longest odds at plus 1,400, that's a really good bet for me right now.
1: If Trey Ford is Edmonton's starter, I'll pivot a little bit here and kind of give my takes on where I think there could be value in multiple spots. Then I think the Elks would be a smart bet at plus 3,000. Yes, JC has some egg on his face. But I think when you said that a year ago, JC, we all could kind of see where you were going. There are some young, intriguing pieces there. We know they have some targets in the receiving core. That defense just has to play better, and a lot of that is left up to Chris Jones. That unit has to be better for a chance for that bet to hit. You stole mine, and for a lot of the reasons, that's why I like the Rough Riders at that point in time. I think you could look, honestly, and I hope it's not recency bias. I'll admit it probably is a little bit for myself, but the Montreal Alouettes provide some intriguing value. They're going to bring back largely a young core group of players there that I think were really galvanized by that Grey Cup victory, it's difficult to go back to back. Do I think that Cody Fajardo is Anthony Calvillo and can do it? He's not of that level yet and probably never will be, but I think it's a possibility when you look at this roster and the amount of talent and young up-and-coming talent that is on it. Ideally, if you're Montreal, you don't want to see Austin Mack go to the NFL. There is some interest there. He's going to have some workouts coming up. But I think the Owls would actually be a decent value at plus 600. You know, I learned this line from actually one of my nephews. I'd never heard it before, but I thought it was hilarious. He was talking about one of the chickens we have at the house running outside, and it's a heckin' dang fast. I think it was Rooster. There's no heckin' dang way that I'm going to put any money on the Calgary Stampeders plus 1,000, plus 10,000, plus 15,000 to win the Great Cup. I just am not feeling the Peters, So there's no heckin' damn way that I'm putting money on them. I could see some value depending on who is the starting quarterback for the Hamilton Tired Cats in 2024. JC and I talked about it a lot last week on the pod, Hodge, while you were off gallivanting on the streets of New York City. So I'm curious, your take, do you think the Tiger Cats should stick with Taylor Powell and invest in areas around him, or where would you go if you were the Tiger Cats in 24?
2: Uh, okay, well, this is a separate topic. I will say this. I think if you're going into the season with Taylor Powell as your number one, that could potentially spell trouble, and that's not to say I didn't like anything that Taylor Powell did, but this this is an organization that I think has tested the patience of its fans. Yes, they have just made some changes Um, the pressure might be a little bit off even in 2024 because of those changes. Also because they're not hosting the great cup in 2023, right? Everybody knows that that organization has, you know, an almost 25 year great cup drought at this point, but they might've bought themselves some time with the changes to me. If I'm the Hamilton Tiger cats, I would be pushing hard for Drew Brown because you already have Taylor Powell under contract through 2025. And there's no reason To rush him along. To me, he's he's a he's a good developmental guy, a one B. If you go into the season with him, I think you should do your best to have a good in-house second option. If you're unable to get Drew Brown, let's say he goes to a place like Ottawa, maybe McLeod Bethel Thompson is your bridge guy, or even here's another bridge guy. I'll throw out. Why not bring back Jeremiah Masoli if he does not stick in Ottawa? You could bring him in knowing we can six game him to start the year. He's not going to play probably to Labor Day at the earliest. And if the Taylor Powell experiment fails, we can pivot to a veteran on the cheap who is still beloved in this city and has previously played at a high level. So that would provide potentially an avenue where Taylor Powell is the week one starter, but you have a parachute. You have a safety net built-in. That, to me, is a necessity. You can't go in with Taylor Powell being the unquestioned one, but could he be an answer long-term? Yes, but I think it's a little too early to call that. I will say this, though. Getting back to the question at hand, I think you guys both got it wrong on the long shot. No disrespect to Montreal, to Saskatchewan, whatever, Edmonton. To me, if you're going to make a long shot bet, you have to go with the East Division because everybody knows it's easier to make the playoffs and make a run. The Montreal Alouettes just did it, right? They were essentially a 500 team. They, they get hot late, and they ride that wave to a championship. It's been done before. 2017, the Toronto Argonauts did it. The The Ottawa Red Blacks did it, of course, famously in 2016. And that's why I'm picking them at plus 2,800. You want a return on your money? If they bring in McLeod Bethel Thompson or Drew Brown and they replace their Awful receiving core with appropriate weapons. Awful receiving core with appropriate weapons. Tommy Condell even just serving as an average offensive coordinator. This team's win total is going to double, I think, at least. And at eight wins from four, this team is going to host a playoff game. Potentially, if not, they'll go on the road for a playoff game. And once you're in, again, as the Montreal just showed, once you're in, anything can happen. It's just a
3: lot of ifs for me, Hodge, because you're saying, well, of if you get the right quarterback, and away, if a lot of if they replace
2: their entire
3: receiving core, You're not talking about adding a piece here or there with the Ottawa Red Blacks. You've got to throw out everything and replace it with an entire new
1: contingent. That's okay, of that's what all did last year, mind. But maybe it'll work out. Did did the Alouettes have may one well,
2: receiver it may well. outside of Tyson Philpot? who stayed with the team from 22 to 23, the only established name they had coming into the building in 2023 was Greg Ellingson. And he played one Kayon, game.
1: Julian Grant, But he got hurt.
2: Okay. Kayon, fair. But he didn't play in the playoffs. Kayon Julian Grant was not there when that team was at its best. So there's, there's recent precedent for all this happening. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but at 2,800, you if can't, I'll Arroyo take 2,800
3: capable of bringing in that many talented receivers why haven't they done it already because
1: they desperately needed to oh fair question (laughs) y'all makes a good point though there is some value on ottawa this is a team that came out
2: into the league in 2014 and won two games and the next year they went to the gray cup (laughs) and almost won it right Why is there no value at plus twenty eight hundred like this has literally happened before they almost won it? I I don't see why there's no value here to me. I think that there is value at plus twenty eight hundred because we all know they're going to upgrade. And I think interior to your your question, JC, why have they replaced the receivers before? I think maybe it just took some time for them to realize exactly how bad what they had was. And that realization has now fully been made and they're prepared to open the piggy bank. A little bit. And maybe, and who knows, Jalen Acklin has been sensational in this league previously. Maybe he has a bounce-back gear. He had a bad 2023, has previously been brilliant in this league. So, we'll see. But to me, that's that's the best long-shot pick. You go east, not west, because it's a heck of a lot easier to get into the game through the east.
1: If you're Ottawa, I think there is a decent argument similar to what I was talking about with Hamilton, to build around Dustin Crum. He's still going to be on his rookie contract. There's no guarantee that you're going to get McLeod Bethel-Thompson. We'll see if he even comes back up to play for any CFL team in 2024. And I think with Tommy Condell there, we could see a nice trajectory in terms of Crum's development. If Devontae Williams can be re-signed, I think he's a key guy to get back there. JC, I don't care what you say about running backs. The offensive line just simply has to play better. They got a lot of talent there. I think we would all agree with that. And you get a couple of playmakers in there. Like you get your version of Austin Mack and Tyler Sneed into the mix and boom, all of a sudden you have a receiving core there with, as you mentioned, what Jalen Acklin can do. And I think that defense you know, has some upside. Money Hunter was hurt. What for a big chunk of the year. And I think they got to turn over some of their special teams guys and maybe depth pieces, especially on defense, but it's, a value long shot that at this point in the year makes a lot of sense to potentially get that big time return. Yeah. I'd like the big time return, but my
3: problem is I've seen a lot of people online complaining about, Oh, the Ottawa red blacks aren't, aren't doing any early resignings like other other teams, everyone else a is good using. they they're left. <laughs> I, that's my point. There's nobody I want back. What? Who would you resign right now? You gotta turn it all over, and that's just a little bit too much uncertainty.
1: Like JC, you saw this Red Blacks team live at BC Place, almost take down your beloved BC Lions. Did you not think they played? They are not my beloved BC Lions, for for the record. Not my beloved BC
3: Lions. I did not grow up a Lions fan, just for any listeners out there. I simply live in Vancouver. But We're just messing with you. (laughs) They also gave up that game at the end in spectacular fashion.
1: If Dustin Crum has some maturity, they finish off some games to Hodges Point. You can go on a run. And if you're looking at the board here, I mean, you and I both like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but you get double the value with the run Red Blacks.
2: You also get and double the, the risk. Red Blacks, yeah, but also the Auto Red Blacks don't have to go through Winnipeg and BC in the playoffs. That That is the only fair point here. But I am in agreement that the Argos are going to take a step back. I'm not saying they're going to be bad. I think they're still going to be a good team. But how can you possibly repeat as a 16-win team when all of a sudden you have to account for the massive raise you gave your quarterback. So I think the Toronto Argonauts will inevitably take a step back. Now, they might take a step back from 16 wins to 13, in which case they're still a great team. But they're not going to be as good as they were in 2023. They're going to lose. And J.C., I thought you made a great point about Corey Mace. Inevitably, some of those great defensive players, guys like Sean Oakman, guys like you know Jordan Williams, guys like... Uh, a Darius, Darius Pickett, Pickett Wynn McManus, like there's—I'm not saying those guys in particular will, but some of the guys they have of that ilk could very easily follow Corey Mace there. So to me, that is a great point. That's going to help Saskatchewan build it. You just have an easier time going through the West. One quick correction: I said the Bombers were a 13-win team. I double checked they were a 14-win team, and and I do think they'll take a step back. But maybe instead of 14, it's 11. You know, the good team, not not a great team anymore. Moving on. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have officially named Mark Mueller as their team's offensive coordinator. What are your expectations for him as he returns to his hometown in a new role? Well, I
3: I think some expectations have to be tempered here because this is a guy who's really going into his first full season as an offensive play caller. He did it this past year in Calgary and actually Lost those duties midway through the season. Dave Dickinson took back over with the Stampeders calling plays. I think Mark Mueller has learned a lot from that experience. He's clearly learned under some of the best coaches in the CFL. He is capable of doing this duties, but there's going to be some learning curve here. And I think it's good that he has a veteran quarterback like Trevor Harris to help guide him along through that I mean Trevor Harris is older than Mark Mueller is there's not too many situations in the league where you have a quarterback that is older and more experienced than his coach and play caller that's going to be the situation in Saskatchewan this year but I think the two fit really well together in terms of what Mark Mueller has shown he wants to do in Calgary and what Trevor Harris is capable of at this stage in his career, being able to get the ball out of his hand, being highly efficient, being highly accurate, those two are a really good fit. So I think the offense is going to take a step forward with Mueller, but everyone who's like, oh, well, this is the second coming, the sec- the su- the grandson of the legend, Ron Lancaster, all of a sudden this is going to be you know, a world-class offense, pump the brakes just a little bit, it's going to take some time to get up to speed, in my opinion.
1: Mark Mueller doesn't care for your tempered expectations, JC. He's out here talking (laughs) about building a rocket ship around Trevor Harris. Now, I'm going to steal this from our Regina contributor, Joel Gasson. I believe he said it. Hopefully, it's a NASA rocket, not a SpaceX rocket that Mueller's (laughs) planning to build around Harris. But he's going into this with some great gumption. I love the confidence and We don't really, truly know what happened behind the scenes in Calgary. I have been told that there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen there, so it perhaps wasn't all Mueller's show when he was actually calling those plays. But there is no doubt about it, especially with Corey Mace being a defensive guy. I'm sure Mace will have some sort of input in terms of in-game decisions on offense going forward on third down situations and the like. But this is largely going to be Mueller's rocket ship, Mueller's offense. Mueller's doing, Mueller's play calling. So I think that, yes, there might be added pressure there because of the connection. He's a grandson of Ron Lancaster. He's posed for pictures with that statue. But Rough Riders fans don't care. If you don't produce, they'll run you out of town like they've almost done to everybody else. And at one point, they actually, I think Rough Riders fans forget about this, ran Lancaster out of town. So Mueller knows what he's getting into from that perspective. And I'm very intrigued to see what he can do with this Rough Riders offense that has some playmakers. They just got to be a little more healthy and I think bolster that offensive line. For them, it's a little different. I don't care if they bring back Jamal Morrow or Frankie Hickson. They could go in a different direction at running back there. But I'm very intrigued because he talked to people around the league and they think Mueller is a potential head coach in the future. Mm -hmm. And he has a respect of the players that he's worked with in the past. That, to me, says a lot and at least gives him the chance to be really good. With Saskia.
2: I was going to say that it's strange that Mark Mueller is three years younger than his franchise quarterback, but JC has already stolen my point. I do think that it is interesting. I would love to know if it's the first time that's happened in CFL history. Also, as an aside, Corey Mace is only six months older than Trevor Harris. I wonder if there's ever been a CFL head coach who is younger than then they're starting quarterback. I'm guessing that's never happened. My thought was maybe like the very tail end of like Henry Burris's career, maybe the very tail end of like Ron Lancaster's career. There Damon are some Allen. quarterbacks who have played. Damon Allen played till he was about 75. So that's actually <laughs> a likelihood. <laughs> Damon Allen looks like he could still play. I mean, he probably could. I mean, that man was built to play. Him and his brother were, were built yeah. to play this game almost as if they were built in some type of secret government lab. Oh, my goodness. But I do think that it's interesting, the youth movement. In terms of the X's and O's, I have very little to offer in terms of what Mark Mueller will do. I honestly don't think that the Riders' offense was poor in 2023. Obviously, they struggled at the quarterback position at times. That was, I think, as much injury-related as anything else. They have to upgrade their offensive line a little bit. They were better at the tackle spots, In 2023, I think at least one of those guard spots needs to be upgraded. I'd be curious if Evan Johnson will be back or if they will move on from him. It should be noted the 2024 CFL draft is considered very deep along the offensive line. That is the opposite of the past few CFL drafts, which have generally been considered somewhere between the area of thin and terrible along the offensive line. So I'm curious to see from a personnel standpoint, what Mueller maybe has some influence over because we know Sean Bain is a pending free agent. Does he see Sean Bain as somebody who he, by the way, knows from Calgary when Bain played for the Stampeders previously in 2022, does he see him as the deep threat who remains back? How is he going to use Kean Schaefer Baker, a player who obviously came off injury, had a bit of a down year in 2023.
1: Those are the things. What I'm about him? Sam Emelis out here making catches on people's heads. Well, he can't even get a mention from Jean Auge.
2: Well, we'll see if Sam Emelis is going to be in the CFL. He worked out for the Arizona Cardinals, as we're going to talk about during there. the three-minute drill. So I think that is the first step. The second step, by the way, is to get him under a new contract because I don't think you want to run the risk of Sam Emilis hitting free agency in 2025 and potentially going home to Montreal, where a lot of Montreal natives tend to go once they reach free agency. So I'm excited to see what Mueller's past as a Stampeders coach, means for the Rough Riders currently from a personnel standpoint, because obviously he's been in the league for a long time relative to his age, and he's going to have some say, at least theoretically, about the personnel lining up on the offensive side of the ball. It's clear that Trevor Harris is his quarterback. Outside of that, it remains a question mark.
3: What I will say is that even though I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve here, this is an excellent hire. Like, I I don't want that to be lost in my earlier comments because I think it's imperative that the league needs to get younger coaches at coordinator and head coaching positions, guys who have not done it before. And to me, Mark Mueller is the model, right? A guy who started from the bottom, who has worked his way up through the ranks, a Canadian kid, a local kid in the case of Regina, who has now... Earn this opportunity. And I hope he gets enough time to fully blossom in it because I think he has all the attributes you look for and a really top level CFL coordinator and potentially head coach down the line, right? This is going to take a little bit of time because all new ventures do. And we shouldn't expect everything to work perfectly right away because he is new to this job. But I think with time, he can be a top-tier coordinator in this league and go on to bigger and better things.
2: One, one thing I'll add before we go on. I wonder if this is the first time, or maybe how long it's been, since the CFL team had a Canadian president-CEO, a Canadian GM, a Canadian head coach, a Canadian OC, and a Canadian DC. Because if mm-hmm. Corey Mace is serving as his own DC, which Justin has previously reported, Jeremy O'Day, it should be noted, wasn't born in Canada. He was born and raised in Buffalo, New York, but had Canadian status when he started his playing career in the late '90s. And certainly, I would assume, has full Canadian citizenship now. I don't know if if that's happened recently. I'm unaware of that situation. I'm sure it's happened before in the CFL, but it's probably been a long time since a team had that level of Canadiana from the top down, even into their uh, coaching staff. Obviously, we know Winnipeg is often called the Canadian Mafia, but they have two Americans as their coordinators. The Canadian Mafia is, of course, Wade Miller, Kyle Walters, and Mike O'Shea, all of whom were born in Canada. Miller is from Winnipeg. Uh, I believe Walters is from St. Thomas, Ontario, and O'Shea is from North Bay. So interesting that you know a team often touted as the flagship franchise of the CFL, or I think erroneously known as Canada's team, does have this level of Canadiana.
1: Rodgers fans just got their pitchforks out, Hodge. They're coming for you, dude. You better start running.
2: They don't scare me. That's fine. I do
1: think the one key decision here for Mueller off the jump, yes, Trevor Harris is going to be your QB one, but guys, you know it. Everybody in the league knows it. You have to have a backup you can trust. So there needs to be a decision here. Do they resign Mason Fine to be that backup? Do they re-sign Jake Dolagala? Do they look to bring in Drew Brown on a similar contract that Jerry Harris was brought into Ottawa on when he was clearly the succession plan to Henry Burris. That would be intriguing. Harris in a different position in that situation. But that's going to be very key for the Rough Riders and the success of Mueller, especially in his first year as a full-time play-calling offensive coordinator.
3: The Montreal Alouettes have re-signed defensive end Sean Lemon and middle linebacker Darnell Sankey, both of whom joined the team mid-season to help spark their Grey Cup run. The club also re-upped defensive tackle Mustafa Johnson through 2025. Which of those three is the biggest
1: deal? This one is close for me between Lemon and Johnson, and I'm going to go with Lemon. Some people might laugh at it because he's old. He's in his mid-30s now, but... This guy has shown that he's ageless. You can pencil him in if he gets enough games played in a season for a double-digit sack total. And I think what went under the radar with this team is what he did from a leadership perspective, really bringing this defense together. And he helped recruit Darnell Sankey to come there. I think that should be stated. They had previously played together with the Calgary Stampeders. And I think he also helped Johnson come along here. I think Johnson, in the long run, is going to prove to be the best signing of this trio. But Lemon in the here and now, I think, can be another major factor for this team in 2024 as they try to go back-to-back.
2: To me, the the biggest signing here is Mustafa Johnson. And that's not a discredit to Lemon or Sankey, who are obviously fantastic upgrades during Montreal's 2023 season, helping launch them to a Grey Cup. The reason I say Johnson is because Given Lemon's age, given Sankey's position, I don't think they were candidates to get massive deals in free agency, potentially. That is not true of Mustafa Johnson, who is an East Division All-Star this year. is only 24. He's a guy who I also think, by the way, could still test the NFL, potentially, depending on how his contract is structured, his new one. That might be a possibility for him. But he was somebody who I saw going into free agency as a guy making presumably the rookie minimum or very close to going, okay, this guy could be like, maybe not that $250,000 Anthony Lanier guy, but he could easily be like a one ninety two hundred Casey sales guy. And for the Montreal Alouettes to keep him, we don't have the contract numbers yet, but for the Montreal Alouettes to keep him, sign him right now and presumably get any signing bonus that he earned not counting against the 2024 salary cap, but against the 2023 salary cap, to me that is huge because one of the reasons why that, that Montreal defensive line was so great was Mustafa Johnson and Armando Sewell, I should mention as well, commanding double teams consistently along the inside. So to me, Mustafa Johnson is the name simply because I think he had the best chance of going out a free agency and getting a big old payday.
3: Yeah. In my opinion, Mustafa Johnson is already a top two defensive tackle in the CFL and he may well be number one. Him and Casey sales are really neck and neck. In my opinion, those two are extremely talented. But the difference is Mustafa Johnson is 24, as you mentioned, Hodge. He's only going to get better. He's got veterans around him who have taken him under their wing and are teaching him the game the right way. I mean, there's nobody better to learn the position from in the entire league than Armando Sewell, right? That is a master of the defensive tackle position, a future Hall of Famer, without a doubt, who is playing right beside Mustafa Johnson. Now the element here you touched on as well is does Mustafa actually come and play for the Alouettes next year? Because as long as whatever signing bonus he has in this contract is not received until next year or is is pushed off, he's still eligible to work out for NFL teams. And I would think at his size with his pedigree and with his performance over the last two years, he would be a guy who would be in line to get, at least a few NFL workouts, and is certainly someone I had I had circled as someone who would likely sign in the NFL. And I know when I spoke to him during Grey Cup week, that was something he was eyeing a little bit, that there would be NFL opportunities for him. As long as he hasn't taken in that signing bonus money, he's free to do that, and he may well sign with an NFL team. The good news is for the Montreal Alouettes, because they've – ink this extension they now have his rights for two more years right so he can sign in the NFL and if it doesn't work out he'll come right back to Montreal they will get a chance to get him back in that building and potentially extend him further so they've really covered all their bases by getting on this deal early
1: if we added Cody Fajardo to this list would you guys still pick Mustafa Johnson as being the biggest re-signing so far for the Owls this offseason? Yes.
2: I, I would also say yes, only because I don't think the market for Cody Fajardo is ever going to be beyond what the Alouettes have already paid. So I would, yes, say it's Mustafa Johnson. But again, depends on the dollars and cents. If they gave Mustafa Johnson 275, I would say, holy crap, what are you doing? That's too much money. If they got him for a buck fifty then Danny Machosha deserves a handshake and a bouquet of flowers from everybody in La, in La Belle Provence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know who will have the numbers first, so keep it locked to 3donation.com. Winnipeg Blue Bomb.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the fillet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At US Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
1: Running back Brady Oliveira has made it clear that he's hoping to garner an NFL opportunity this offseason. Do you see that as a realistic goal for the league's most outstanding Canadian or is it little more than a pipe dream? To me, this is more
2: than a pipe dream. I think to call it a complete, you know, 0% chance pipe dream, whatever, is a little disrespectful to Brady Oliveira and what he's accomplished. That said, I don't think it's a likelihood. I think the chances of him garnering an NFL opportunity are certainly well under 50 50, possibly even lower than, say, 25, arguably even 10%. But I don't think it's a pipe dream. I do think it is a. Semi-realistic possibility because it, first of all, only takes one team out of 32 to look at him and say, yeah, this guy is at least good enough to make it to training camp with us. It is true that he lacks straight line speed, as noted in my article about this. He ran about a four-seven at his pro day at North Dakota which is obviously below the standard of the NFL. That said, he is not a burner type of runner. He is a ground and pound between the tackles kind of guy. And he does literally everything else really well. His testing numbers from North Dakota in 2019 were all NFL caliber outside of the 40 yard dash. And when it comes to things like pass protection, which never gets talked about enough with running backs, he is brilliant. When it comes to catching passes out of the backfield, Zach Colaris repeatedly raves about him. That did become a bigger part of Oliveira's game this season, putting up almost five hundred yards through the air, along with over fifteen hundred yards along the ground. So again, I think it's too much to say that that there's a good chance that he's gonna to go to the NFL. I did in my article bring five examples in the recent memory of the CFL, where CFL running backs got an opportunity to go to the NFL. Those five players are Corey Sheets, William Standback, Jerome Messam, Lake Seastrunk, and James Butler. Now, Seastrunk and Butler had never actually played it down in the CFL prior to going back to the NFL. The three kind of names people will probably recognize as CFL success, success stories who then went to the NFL are Sheets, Standback, and Messam. Now, Messam did actually stay healthy with the Miami Dolphins. Sheets tore his Achilles in camp with the Oakland Raiders, and William Standback had... Uh, terrible uh, you know experience in training camp because that was when both of his parents passed away in a very short time frame so one could say that that for those extenuating circumstances you know sheets and and standback who missed a portion of training camp as a result of of that tragedy were not necessarily full participants in in training camp with the raiders so to me again i don't think it's a likelihood but i've i've seen a ton of people on social media um you know, write this off as a 0% chance. There's no way he's ever doing it. To me, I think that's too much. He turned 26 in August, which means he's not too old to go down. He's younger than Messam and Sheets were when they went down to the NFL. Do I think he's going to stick in the NFL for years? No, but I think Brady Oliveira's chances of signing an NFL deal are above zero. It's not impossible. And the people I've spoken to around the league tend to agree with that. Not a high chance, but the chance is not zero. Oh, come on.
3: I get called a homer for simply suggesting that the BC lines might be good, but Hodge can go out here and say that a Winnipegger is going to the NFL here. He's getting no, no flag. No, no, this, no, is, no. this isn't even a pipe dream. This is a fantasy. This is <laughs> wow. made up in Brady Oliveira's head. There is zero, zero chance that he signs in the NFL. Let me t- tell you why. When the next NFL season kicks off, he's going to be 27. He's a 27-year-old running back. OK, that is that is not particularly attractive to NFL teams, especially. Corey Sheets got signed at twenty nine, bro. Oliver doesn't have the same unique athleticism or previous pedigree of Corey Sheets. And His that, rough, she was, that was a long time ago. That was a
2: long time ago. Ten years ago. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, not, a decade. that's not a century.
3: That's, a, that's an infinity in in, in in football time frames like that's that's. Not even a recent example. The only one recently is William Stanback. and let's be honest, it was a it was a difficult situation for him in training camp with the loss of both his parents. But he wasn't going to give a sniff, regardless. He was a camp body for the Raiders through and through. And I don't think that's what is best for Brady Oliveira to be a camp body in the NFL. And I don't why think... not
2: because it like he, he's just going to get he gets cut. On... If he gets on a PR, he'll make just as much, if not more, he's than he would not, in Canada. And guess he's what? He's not going to get if on a goes, PR. If he goes to the NFL and gets cut, he's still going to get paid a boatload of money to come back up to the CFL. There's literally no he can reason get paid why. a just boatload as a of camp money body right now. Like is a bad thing. Okay, it's, but then the NFL dream happen. is dead. The NFL the way, dream is already by dead. By the way, by the way, Corey Sheets. yards per carry in 2012, 5.7 yards per carry in 2023. Brady Oliveira in 2023, 5.9 yards per carry. Better than Sheets ever did while having over 2,000 yards from scrimmage at 13 tutties. So just saying
3: has a pretty good group of offensive linemen in front of him as well. I would oh, argue but Corey better. Sheets Sheets was running too. behind a
2: bunch of dogs. <laughs> she 20- did oh, as yeah. well. Terrible, but I would argue terrible line. Was better.
1: a guy that went to the NFL blocking for him and Mr. Ben
2: Well, he also had what I assume would be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Brendan Labatt, <laughs> Dom Picard, Perennial All-Star. Yeah, that O-line was
1: amazing. So, so is Olivera, star star Stanley Bryant. Okay. Don't exaggerate
3: what I'm trying to say. J- don't exaggerate, exaggerate what i was
1: trying to
0: say.
2: And Corey Sheets, by the way, 5'11", 203. Yeah, he's faster. Brady Oliveira, 5'10", 222. He's got 20 more pounds on his frame and is suited to pounding the rock behind an NFL offensive line.
3: There are 200 college football programs in Division One that have a running back right now that could step in. To the NFL,
1: and none of those two hundred guys have proven a thing in professional football. There in in are the NFL teams in North America that play professional football, nine of them are in Canada. So Oliveira is a step ahead of at least a number of those guys. Do I think the that NFL he's doesn't get see it that way? That's tread on the tires. I understand, but similar to Hodge, this is not impossible, but the chances are low. And I'll give you a little view into some of my thinking here. Okay. Not that I've been at the games or anything, but I've watched the Jaguars very closely this season. All right? They drafted a guy pretty early in the NFL draft, who's a rookie, Tank Bigsby, to be sort of the thunder to Travis Etienne Jr.'s lightning. Bigsby had ball security issues to start the season. That did not help him earn trust with Doug E. P. there, Doug Peterson and Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator. And he hasn't really seen the field very much. They have Dearness Johnson taking a decent amount of reps for this team Because they don't trust Bigsby, who's one of these rookies, J.C., that you're talking about coming out of a U.S. school that's going to go all big time in the NFL. So I think if you just look at the Jags running back depth chart and you say that, okay, Oliveira, Oliveira, for Greg's sakes, Oliveira, (laughs) could come in here and be a guy that we can use in goal line situations and run the ball extremely hard to give Etienne Jr. a little bit of a breather, In my estimation, I would say he would be better than those guys right now. I'm not saying the Jaguars are going to do that. But if you look around the league and just look at talent for talent, strip away Canadian, what have you, that Oliveira does deserve some sort of an opportunity down there based on what he's done up here. 2K, bro. 2K shows you can handle the load and the physical pounding that it requires to be a running back. Do I think he's going to sign an NFL contract Probably not, I wouldn't bet my house on it. I wouldn't bet your house on it either j c but I think he deserves a little I don't
3: have a house that's I live in Vancouver. I will never have a house <laughs> no I, i'm not I'm not sure he can be the same type of physical pounding back in the nFL game that he is in the c f l game and that's no disrespect to brigie Olivera. I love his skill set. We are less than what a less than a month removed from you guys ridiculing me for thinking he was the m o p because
1: he clearly was, but that's a, that is a complete aside. That was a different conversation but, because you think running backs have no value. That's why we were ridiculing you.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's listed at what? 220, pounds? Something I like that. Said it. That's, 222. that's prob- 222. Okay. That's probably a slight overestimation.
2: Well, I, I wouldn't trust what he's listed at. Yeah. Like, but having interviewed him, 25 times, I would believe that he is 220. Yes.
3: I would put him closer to 215, which is not power back. Whoa, size then the throw NFL.
2: everything I've said out of the window. <laughs> <What's> the, he's <laughs> like, five. Okay, whoa, you you just won me over. There's a, there's a big done. difference he's between five pounds lighter because you just suspect that he's five pounds lighter. Oh my God. Like I feel like an idiot now. Power
3: back will want someone who's 230, 235, like a bigger dude. I think Oliveira's just
1: underneath that. What NFL powerbacks can you name off the top of your head right now, Jason? Derrick Henry? <laughs> Other than that, it's a totally different thing. He's a freak of nature. I mean, th- th- there's a lot of NFL powerbacks. I mean, there's really not you just can't name any. That's what I'm talking about. You don't have to be this big Mike Allstott type of a guy anymore. I'm not asking him, him to be Mike Allstott. He's a power back.
3: Like, you're saying he's a goal line situation back. Yes. Right? Be that, that was your argument. Bigs
1: being goal line situations right now. I can tell you that for sure.
3: Like It's the difference between going up against, we just talked about Mustafa Johnson, who's like 280, 290 pounds, right? That's what he's listed as at defensive tackle. Right, that's a, a fairly large defensive lineman or interior defensive lineman in the CFL. The same guy in the NFL is going to be three hundred and fifty pounds. Right, there is a size difference. It's one of the differences in the game.
2: There are not three hundred and fifty pounders in the NFL. Your hyperbole
3: is out of control. Today. There's okay, that's I'm hyper three hundred and twenty. They are over three hundred pounds. Right, there are is a size sure? you cannot discount that. Right, there's a size I have, difference. I have an interior found-
2: defensive lineman. I have found a study by the University of Idaho that tracked the average height and weight of NFL players. And according to this study that was done, that looks very impressive, by the way, with all kinds of facts and figures, which is different than what J.C.'s presenting, which is random stuff pulled out of his rear end. <laughs> the running backs on average in the NFL are 70 inches tall. That's 5'10" and they weigh 214.48 pounds, which I'll even round it up for you. Is that 215 figure that you just said? That's, is way That's too what I'm small. saying.
3: He's average. I'm not saying he's too small. I'm saying he's average,
2: and you're you're arguing he's going to be some sort of goal line special. I never said that. I'm saying if you're an NFL... Uh, team, Dunk is arguing. Well, Dunk said <laughs> that. What I'm saying is if you're an NFL... T- and by the way, we know the NFL is not a meritocracy. The NFL... Has politics at play, and those politics could keep Brady Oliveira out of the league, 100%. But if you're an NFL team and you're like, okay, we need a fourth or fifth running back to bring to training camp, what if we brought in this 26-year-old from Canada who squats 600 pounds and is a physical freak And lacks straight line speed, but like he's probably faster now, though. To
1: be honest, he's probably he's probably faster
2: now. Maybe he's a four six. He's not a burner, but maybe he's a four six guy. Lots of NFL running backs are four six guys for the record. And he pass protects really well. He gets rave reviews from his coaches. He is also capable of catching passes out of the backfield. He has extensive experience playing four down ball in the past, and he's going to cost us dirt. Because he has never played in the NFL before and therefore can be paid the rookie UDFA minimum, and he'll probably sign for zero signing bonus. Like, that is what the situation is for an NFL team. And you're telling me that the NFL signing him is less than a pipe dream. It is fantasy
1: absolutely land, he says. That is. That is crazy to me. You are completely <laughs> While the off time, base. We have Chuba Hubbard and Chase Brown out here making plays as Canadian dudes this, in the NFL. This has nothing NCAA to do football. with his this has nothing
3: to do with his Canadian status. Okay? Like that's irrelevant to an NFL team, and I think you both know that, right? And as much as it endears me to Brady Oliver, and I very much like him as a player, and have always liked him as a player for the record, going back to his draft year. I just don't see it, especially at this age. Maybe if he was 24, maybe if he was 23, but there is an endless cycle of 22-year-old running backs coming out of college that NFL scouts are far more familiar with than they are with Brady Oliveira, that they will take a chance on, hoping that they hit or that they can cycle through, and they'll give them three years or even two years and use them up and 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 then discard them because there's an endless supply of running backs. There is no need for NFL scouts to spend any time looking at CFL running backs like Reggie Oliveira, who they can find an a equivalent back coming out of college. Who, Hey, and I'm not saying they'll be as good as Briggy Oliveira. I like Reggie Oliveira a whole heck of a lot, but has similar measurements and they're more familiar with and they has less wear on his tires than Oliveira does.
1: Why'd they sign Corey Sheets? You're entitled to your opinion, and we respect it. I don't well, know. Jumbo Cheeseburger, some... don't come out here and tell us that there's consistently 350-pound defensive tackles playing in the NFL when there's not, okay?
2: Why'd they sign Jerome Messam? Huh? Why'd they sign William Standback? There are some. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's not all.
2: It's literally happened five times in the last 10 years.
3: Okay, Jerome Messam is a big dude. I would argue he is an actual power back.
2: And also slower than Brady Oliveira. But continue. Yeah, but
3: he's actually bigger, <laughs> and he could be that goal line guy. That is true. Corey Sheets, I thought, had some special athleticism, despite the age, okay? And William Stanback was a low-grade camp body who, again, I think, in his prime, physically, is a true 230, which is more of a power back for me. And again, those guys all play – or not Messam, but the other two, Sheets and and – or certainly – stand back play at bigger time colleges and were more familiar to NFL scouts than Brady Oliveira, who played at North Dakota, which is a small FCS school and was part of a, a running back tandem, right? He was not even listed as the starter for a good degree of his college
1: career. That was John Santiago, right at North Dakota. Neither was Tom Brady. He had to battle for a quarterback job at the university of Michigan. What does it matter? Actually Tom Brady was the
2: starter. JC does make a great point though, because William Stanback graduated from the football powerhouse of Virginia Union. So oh, obviously, I'm NFL wrong. I'm wrong are pounding I'm wrong down, the bo- thought, down, thought, down the door. They're pounding down the door. We need I to get to, to Virginia Union. We need to get there. That's my bad. D, That's my bad. D two school located in the state of Virginia. It's not. This isn't even the biggest school in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I was talking out my ass there. Thank you for admitting that. It's I, time I got, to move on. I'll be. I'll JC be honest, has I, embarrassed I, himself I, enough at this. Setting. Yes, you I, already, got, you I got, got him confused with there.
3: Anthony Chiaffi because that's how irrelevant rugby backs are.
2: Anthony Chiaffi went to Rutgers.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. I thought I thought Standback went to Rutgers
2: because they, they signed <sighs> in the NFL in the same year. Jumbo cheeseburger. What are we gonna do with you? <laughs> The Edmonton Elks have signed receiver Arlan Bruce, the fourth son of three time CFL All Star Arlan Bruce, the third. Is he a serious candidate to make that roster?
3: I think he's an intriguing prospect with a lot of athletic upside. But this story to me is less about the potential player that the Elks are getting and more about why they're getting him right now. Because for all intents and purposes, Arlan Bruce the fourth should be a redshirt sophomore at a major U S college. And the only reason he's not is because he was not allowed to play in the NCAA this year because he bet on games. Now, not only was he underage and betting through a proxy, which is illegal and is ultimately what he pled guilty to, but he was accused of betting on games that he played in. And in fact, allegedly bet the under, on a game that he was playing in. Now, in his defense, he did score the touchdown to put his team on the over and then busting his own bet. So maybe not the smartest match, fix- match fixing in the world, but this is not a good look for anyone to be gambling on games that they're playing in, especially in an era when the CFL is making that a focus. Of, of their attention to ensure the integrity of the game as legalized sports gambling becomes such a major part of North American sports and Canadian sports that you have a guy now on a CFL roster who we know has done that, right? Who has bet on his own games. And so... Don't worry, Genius Sports will find him. <laughs> well, and the Edmonton Elks found him first because... If, if there's somebody who has something a little bit seeking in their past, Chris Jones will identify them and bring them to camp always.
1: Is he a serious candidate to make the roster? Who knows, man? He's going to go to training camp battle with a bunch of guys. He has the name value, which is the main reason I want to talk about Arlen Bruce third because when I saw his name, it reminded me of two things, okay? I'll go back. I believe it was the 2011 CFL season. Renaco Reth, Arlen Bruce is third, however you want to know him was in Hamilton. I was working for the Tiger Cats at the time as their staff writer and video analyst. And it was media day for the team. They were going through and doing all their headshots and poses and all that kind of stuff. At McMaster University, Arlan Bruce III comes through. You know, he's pretty laid back because it's not like the media that's going to ask hard-hitting questions or anything. Like, I was kind of technically part of the PR staff there. So we're just kind of shooting the breeze. Arlan Bruce III asks us all if we've ever heard of his new rap song called Loonies and Toonies. And at this time, I've now discovered that he wasn't the actual rapper of that song. And it's pretty much just a song that goes on, I got them loonies and toonies. That's why they all want to be me. I got them loonies and toonies. I got them loonies and toonies. <laughs> and we're like, where did this come from? But little did I know, he was actually essentially just a Canadian hype man for Mr. Moneymaker, who was the guy that produced that song. The other story... Has to do with much more football. And it was when Bruce was traded in season. This is something I will never forget. During practice, you know, the famous Bob Obilovich is a general manager of the team. And I just want to make sure I get the team right. Yeah, he was traded to the BC Lions. And Arlen Bruce is not on the practice field on this, you know, summer day at Iverwind Stadium. And the founder of this site drew edwards who was an intrepid beat reporter for the hamilton spectator covering the ticats for a number of years is in the stands remember i'm working for the team so i'm like you know i don't really care about breaking news edwards knew that something was going down he could see Bob Obilovich and i think maybe even sean burke and scott mitchell up in the stands with bruce not on the field on the phone And he just has this look on his face like he's got to figure this out, right? It ended up being Bruce was traded. I forget who broke the story or how it went down, but I'll never forget that day when Bruce was traded to the BC Lions for that look on Mr. Edwards' face. All due respect to him, it was hilarious. And also they traded Runako Rethaway. and the guy that told me about this infamous rap song, Loonies and Toonies, I got them loonies and toonies.
2: (laughs) I have one thing to add to the Arlan Bruce, the fourth signing, um, aside from the fact that hopefully Arlan Bruce, the fourth has a child someday who he names Arlan Bruce. So we can have Arlan Bruce, the fifth to just keep this going. <laughs> but I will say this, the Edmonton Elks mistakenly in their press release identified him as a national, i.e. Canadian player. I just wanted to set the record straight. He is an American player. He does not count as Canadian. If he did count as Canadian, in the CFL, he would be subject to to the draft. He is not. And that is why the Evan Snogs were able to sign him. So he is not a national IE Canadian player. He is in fact an American player. Uh, before we go on to Hodges heritage moment, I just quickly wanted to share a story from gray cup. Uh, this is from an uh, email that I received from Dean and Sherry Zacharias. I'm going to share this story really quick. It was in my post gamer for gray cup. However, gray cup, I mean, there's like, 800 articles about Grey Cup that come out. So I don't blame any of our listeners who don't remember it, or either of you if you don't remember off the top. But on one of the nights at Grey Cup, I think it was the Saturday night, we were in the party zone area at the Hamilton uh, Convention Center. JC, I believe you were with us. Dunk, I don't think you were there. But we were chatting with G. Roy Simon, who was there for GM meetings of the Edmonton Elks and him and I were chatting, whatever. And all of a sudden we were politely uh, interrupted by this big group of rider fans who are feeling no pain, having a blast. And they get this big picture with G Roy. And then G Roy points to me and is like, Hey, you guys want a picture with him? And they all look at me and I I'm, it's very clear. They have no idea who I am (laughs) or (laughs) why. Like they're looking at me as this like big dude. And they're like, he probably played, but We don't. It's John God. And he was talking to G Roy. So like, maybe he's like a former teammate, but I also look a little younger than G Roy. So it's just like they anyways, one lady comes over and she puts her arm around me and she looks up at me and she says, I have no idea who you are, but you're very tall. So you must be important. And I laughed my butt off and her husband took a picture. And then anyways, they walked away and continued their night. and, And I continued the other way. And it was just a funny interaction that I wrote about. Then I get an email from Dean, who was the husband and Sherry the wife of the picture of her and I together, as well as a picture of him with G. Roy Simon and also his amazing Ryder Basement. They're from Carlisle, Saskatchewan, by the way, the birthplace of my grandfather, Alan Hodge. He did not. I don't. He did not stay in Carlisle long. I don't I think he was. Alain Hodge, exactly. R.I.P. But I do have some Saskatchewan roots, at least by proxy through my uh, relative recent ancestry. But I wanted to read part of this email because it was hilarious. And I was so touched that Dean took the time to write it. He said, being mentioned in a Three Down Nation article was a total thrill. I'm sorry we didn't recognize you until I zoomed in on your name later that night because I was wearing my credential in the picture from the CFL. He said, I read your articles all the time, but didn't pay enough attention to the headshot. At the end, obviously, I almost fell over when I was reading the article and realized we were the fans who interrupted your discussion with G-Roy. Sorry for doing that, but thanks for saying we were polite. We were pretty tipsy by then and so excited to see G-Roy. When my wife read the article, she squealed, that's me. Anyway, I wanted you to know that being mentioned in the article was a Grey Cup highlight for us. So I love that email. A lot of the emails we get are like one sentence and no punctuation. And it's just like, (laughs) you're dumb and awful. And why don't you be the riders coach if you're so smart? So it was so lovely to get a log. And that's I only read like a quarter of the email. It's really long. And the picture is awesome. Um, my, my hairline is clearly receding in it, but that's a separate issue. I'll address for another day with a therapist someday. Um, I was so happy to get the picture. So I wanted to shout out uh, the Zacharias couple on the podcast. If they're listening, thank you. Um, if you're not, that's OK, too.
1: Just a man of the people.
2: The man of the people. There we go. It's time for Hodges Heritage moment. I noticed they didn't get a picture with me, though. Yeah, you were standing there the whole time. They didn't, they didn't want a picture with the Jumbo Cheese. <laughs> I don't look important enough. Also, you hate Brady Oliveira.
3: How can I simultaneously vote hate Brady Oliveira and love him? I don't understand. It's possible. You think running backs have no value, but you wanted him
2: to be the MOP. You've done this before. It's this not new. It's not the MVP. It's the MOP. See, upset I'm a, I'm a, B. i will also say one thing the jumbo cheeseburger i've had a few people express concern that jc is upset about the nickname or were rude for calling that i just want it for the record i weigh about 40 pounds more than jc so if ever it was a joke about somebody's weight i should be the jumbo cheese but it is jc he likes the nickname it is playful And it's fun. And I also laugh because, again, it doesn't really make sense because he's the second biggest guy on a (laughs) three-person show. But anyways, it's fine. It's fun. On this day in 2017, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment announced its agreement to purchase the Toronto Argonauts. The team was already owned by two-thirds of MLSE stakeholders in Chairman Larry Tonnenbaum and Bell Canada, who had purchased the team from David Braley in 2015. Tannenbaum, now 78, was on hand to celebrate Toronto's Grey Cup win in 2022, but is now starting to sell his stake in MLSE. Dunk, what do you make of MLSE's ownership of the Argos?
1: I think it's been steady. You know that they're going to put money into it or at least have the financial backing to be the owner of the club. There are people on the other side, I think, around the country that feel like, Why don't they advertise more? Why don't they combine the Argonauts with the Raptors and the Leafs and even Toronto FC at times to get them potentially more fans in the stands? But ultimately, you have to do that marketing yourself, and you don't want to bombard those fans with a brand that they potentially don't like or don't want to hear about. And then you know, on social media, for example, I've had people tell me at MLSC, like if we post too much Argo stuff on the other timelines, we're risking getting unfollows, and that's just not healthy for the overall business. So I think it's been steady. Could they do more? Yes. Do I understand why they don't? I do. But also this year proved that when you go out there and put in, as my boy Tim McAuliffe would say, the hard-ass work, then you can get a bunch of people in the stadium. Would they have liked to play better in the Eastern final? Of course. But things seem to be trending upward for the Argos. The checks
3: cash. That's the most important thing. And I think there's a lot of criticism of the Argos or of the MLSC's ownership of the Argos, I should say. Some of it's deserved, but the check's cash. And in the history of the CFL, that hasn't always been a certainty anywhere. And particularly not in Toronto. There's been some bad, bad ownership there. Now they've got someone that at the very least covers all the costs and for whom the Argos' expenses, even if they're losing money, are just a rounding error, and that's a
1: big deal for the league. Don't the Argos kind of technically still owe Rocket Ishmael some money from those days? Is that a thing? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I, mean, I will
2: say though, ahead. speaking to people around the league coming out of the COVID pandemic, I did speak to members of the Toronto Argonauts front office who felt very well supported through that time, and that was not the case for every team. So as much as MLSE mm. does have somewhat of a bad reputation at times, and I think it's inarguable, they obviously could do a lot more to support that club. First of all, they are showing improvement in terms of their television ratings, in terms of their attendance, all that stuff. But also, during the toughest time, arguably, in CFL history from a financial perspective, the Argos were rock solid, which, again, says a lot, I think, again, especially because some – Members of some organizations did not feel as supported as members of, of, again, the Toronto organization who I spoke with. I will say this about Tannenbaum. There was a time, weirdly, where my speculation would be that he was almost working to try to kill the team more than support the team. But now that he's moving on, I'm interested to see if maybe the team will get more support in that market. But again, that is 100% my speculation.
1: Tannenbaum does like putting trophies in his trophy case.
2: And he was in Regina for mm-hmm. the great yeah. I was shocked. I would, I would love to know if you hooked up Larry Tannenbaum to a lie detector, what would he have admitted to Regina even existing before getting on that plane? Because when you're <laughs> worth that much money, I feel like it's, it's like a force field around the prairies. Like you can't even go there. Like you just have to be in Toronto or Vancouver being a baller. You can't, you can't go to a place like Regina.
1: And under to is, his credit, it, and Bill Manning's, those guys got on the plane with the Argos as decided underdogs in that great cup.
3: They did. Were they there the whole time, Dunk? Because I had sort of figured that he flew in, like, at the end of the
1: third quarter just to be there for <laughs> one, And then
3: lifted the trophy, I mean, you know, don't left. Don't talk
1: about tracking planes around Toronto sports fans right now. Okay? <laughs> I have no idea when Tannenbaum potentially flew there. I would love to know
2: if he stayed one night in Regina because <laughs> I don't think Regina has a hotel room nice enough for Larry Tannenbaum.
1: Uh, what's that hotel called? The Saskatchewan Inn or something? Yeah, but it, maybe, maybe?
2: I don't know. I've never been inside of a like a thousands of dollars a night hotel room before, but I feel like Larry Tannenbaum isn't staying at the Best Western beside the pools, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Seems to me like there's a possibility he could have flown in the day of. Like I'm just speculating. I don't have any idea. But the Saskatchewan Inn's pretty nice, man. It's pretty nice. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I'm gonna add in one thing here. Let's see if you guys can uh keep up. Tyson Philpot, the Grey Cup MVC has re-signed two-year contract extension with the Montreal Alouettes. I know we got the three-minute drill pending, so let's just pause here for a second. How big is this signing for the Owls to get Philpott under contract for another two seasons? Well,
2: he wasn't a pending free agent, but Danny Machocha has done this with a few of his big-name Canadians. Guys like Marc-Antoine Dacroix, guys like Pierre-Olivier Lestage, who going into the third year of their rookie deals, which doesn't pay a whole heck of a lot, they essentially rip up the third year of the deal and give more money in the few in, in the you know the first year of the extension and then maybe the team can save a little bit of money in later years and it provides good security for the player because you know, let's say Tyson Philpot heaven forbid goes out week 1 tears an Achilles all of a sudden it's like okay you're now going to have no production for 2024 which means that come free agency 2025 we're going to take a bath because we were expecting to get a big deal for a lot of money potentially using Maybe going back to Calgary, where he played college as leverage. Maybe going back to BC, where he's originally from. Him and, his, him and his twin brother were born in Delta, BC. So I think this makes a lot of sense for both sides. I think it's a big deal. And if you're the Montreal Alouettes with with Kaon Julian Grant under, under contract for next year with Tyson Philpott, at the very least, the Canadian side of your receiving core is in great shape. And obviously, we know they have some American playmakers as well.
3: It's a fantastic piece long-term, and I think the biggest thing in here is the Alouettes are taking advantage of the fact that last year they couldn't really be a huge player in free agency, and so they had to play a lot of rookies and young players, and they weren't spending a lot of money, so now they clearly have a little bit of cap room to play with at the end of the season, and they're making re-signing. Other teams simply can't and so they're putting money on last year's cap instead of next year's cap and saving some money there, able to add an extra year onto the end of these guys' contracts, at a little bit of a discounted rate next season so they can extend this core long-term. Obviously, we don't know all the financial details. Those aren't public yet. I'm sure we'll find them out in time, but it looks like some really savvy
1: managerial work from Danny Machocha thus far this offseason. It really does. Let's get to it. The three minute drill, boys. The Ottawa Redblacks have re signed CFL All Star punter Richie Leone. Is that a smart move in the nation's capital?
2: It is a smart move, but I have a suggestion for Ottawa. And that is come 2024, can you please make your best player not the punter? Find someone who is better. Hey, hey than punters your punter. are people too. They are, but they should not be a cornerstone of your franchise, as has been the case with Richie Leone in the nation's capital for the last number of years. The five finalists for the John Cornish Trophy, which is awarded to the top Canadian player in the NCAA, have been announced. Who you got, JC? Between Stanford receiver, Alec Eilmaner, Memphis linebacker, Jeffrey kansen UNLV DB, Jet Elad, Arizona tight end, Tanner McLaughlin, and Ohio quarterback, Curtis Rook.
3: Look, I know there's a segment of the voting base that, we'll just vote for Kirkus Rourke because he's the quarterback, but he just didn't have the season this year that I would want from a John Cornish trophy winner. Not that he doesn't have the talent to be that. I think he does. He just was in a difficult situation coming back from that ACL tear and had a little bit of a down year. Alec Ayumara was incredible, right? He's a thousand yard receiver for Stanford, which admittedly was not a very good team. But he was their best player. He ended up being the team's offensive MVP. An honorable mention, all Pac 12 receiver, which I thought was terribly low. He should have been higher on those all star team selections by the Pac 12 because he was incredibly productive. The fifth most receiving yards in the conference and some big time mo- moments put up 294 yards and three touchdowns in that game against Colorado where he scored the overtime winner over Travis Hunter, who is for those of you who don't follow college football is a five-star recruit who plays both sides of the ball at a very high level. I am matter took him to the woodshed all game long in that particular contest and just continued to stack on solid performances after that fact. He's still just a redshirt freshman, guys. I think the best is yet to come from him, but he should take this award going away this season. Canadians Sam Emelis and Loal Ugwak had NFL workouts this past week with the Arizona Cardinals and Tampa Bay Buccaneers,
1: respectively. Do you see any either of them signing deals south of the border? It's kind of similar to our conversation about Brody Olivera. I think there's a possibility for both of these guys. Brogy? Who? (laughs) Oh, Brogy? You just called him him Brogy. Oh, my gosh. I'm all over the (laughs) place. Brody Olivera. Brady (laughs) (laughs) Olivera. I have such a terrible name. It's like JC's trying to say. Loyola? That's it. Loyola. Don't bring
3: that up. You embarrassed me enough in the Rugging Back
1: segment. (laughs) No, I got to own this. I got to get this guy's name right at least one time, clean through a pod. If I was going to pick one of these players to have a better shot to sign a contract, it would be Emelis. I think he has some traits as a special athlete. We've seen him out here mossing guys in the CFL in his second season. So I'm really intrigued to see if there are more workouts coming up for Emelis. The Toronto Argonauts have extended the contract of Canadian offensive lineman Dylan Giffen. Is that a big move?
2: It is not just because Giffen is six foot eight and uh, like 340 pounds. It is a big move because this is a team that drafted Shane Richards first overall in 2019. Didn't quite develop the way they wanted. I think he has played his last game as a member of the Toronto Argonauts. Also, Darius Bladick, a big-name free agent addition from Saskatchewan a few years ago, I think is also likely going to free agency. So Giffen could be either the sixth man or even have the inside track to a potential starting role, depending on how some of these contract negotiations go. The BC Lions have brought back their entire coaching staff from 2023 while giving defensive coordinator Ryan Phillips the added title of assistant head coach. Will that help them recruit potential free agents?
3: I think it definitely will, right? Rick Campbell has proven he can be a winning head coach in this league. He is building something here in BC, but those two coordinators, right? Ryan Phillips and Jordan Maximic. Why wouldn't you want to play for them? Everyone who is playing under Ryan Phillips seems to love him. He is one of those great player coaches in the league who gives his guys the freedom to do what they need to do out there on the field. And, and they appreciate him for it. Obviously a former player himself. And then Jordan Maximic, why wouldn't you want to go out there and play under who might be the brightest young OC in the CFL and still improving every season? So both of those two guys are enticing to free agents who want to maximize their abilities bc is one of the places that you can do it the jacksonville jaguars signed canadian quarterback nathan rourke to the active roster this week though he didn't see action when the jags lost to the cleveland browns how disappointed were you that rourke didn't get on the field
1: I actually wasn't disappointed at all because I thought it would have been a terrible spot for him to play. The Browns, in a number of key statistical defensive categories, ranked number one in the NFL. And the Jaguars' offensive line was beat up. They had Ezra Cleveland at left tackle, making his first career NFL start after Walker Little got hurt the week before against the Bengals. It could go on and on. They had to shuffle up front. So I actually think it was a good thing that Rourke didn't play, but. It's another step for him to go on the road with his team again. He did it in week seven on the Thursday Night Football Game against the Saints to continue to learn what it's like to be an NFL quarterback. Canadian offensive lineman Samuel Thomasin has retired at the age of 28 after missing the entire 2023 season in Edmonton due to a calf injury. How would you summarize his career?
2: To be honest, I would call it disappointing. This is a guy who given his size and his pedigree coming out of Laval was thought to potentially get some NFL buzz, you know, potentially pencil in as, you know, a 10 year starter at guard in the CFL. And ultimately he fought through injuries. I think he fought through a little bit of a lack of mobility. And uh, ultimately I believe only dressed for two games across five years since his draft day. So obviously did not live up to the hype coming out of the Rouge or program London, Ontario native chase Brown scored his first NFL touchdown, reaching a top speed of 22.05 miles per hour. That's 35 and a half kilometers per hour per hour. Insane. Did you realize that he had that type of speed?
3: Like he ran a four, four at the NFL combine, which was incredibly impressive. Like I didn't realize he could clock like car speeds. Like he he would be illegal in a school zone, guys. Like that's <laughs> that's really that's really impressive. It was a great run by Chase Brown down that right side sideline on the screen pass. I think it is just a taste of what we are going to see from him going forward as he blossoms into a bigger role in the Cincinnati Bengals offense. John Frenzy Lynch has passed away this past week at the age of eighty-six. What can you tell us about the former Regina radio broadcaster, Doug?
1: RIP to Mr. Lynch and condolences to his family. This guy was revered in that province. Absolutely loved Rough Rider football. And full credit to Rod Peterson, you know, friend of Three Down Nation with his show, The Rod Peterson Show. Bring him on that show to allow him to have the platform to continue to talk about the Rough Riders that he loves so much in the CFL as well, and also paying many visits and taking care and really developing a friendship with Lynch. I can tell you, I think the one time that I met him was actually at the studio. He was just so excited to talk CFL football. That excitement did not leave him, no matter the age or him getting up there, being kind of on the back nine and coming up the 18th fairway. He is a guy that is, I would say a legend in that province and very well known for being the voice of the Rough Riders.
2: We thank you as always for listening to the three donation podcast. We'll be back next week for one last episode before the new year. We'll see you then.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either big Mac burger, McNuggets or Mc sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish sandwich all day.